This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York. The day is June 26th, 2020. And it's been a pretty terrible week in the world of professional wrestling. At least in terms of what we know now. The speaking out movement on Twitter has brought to light numerous stories of alleged rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment, abuse of power, and other transgressions that have been perpetuated, apparently, for years within the pro wrestling industry. The other major story this week, as it has been since the middle of March, is pro wrestling's battle with COVID-19. Now, as many WWE performers have reportedly tested positive for COVID-19, many only being tested for the virus now after WWE has not tested anyone for the virus throughout the duration of these coronavirus times. I'm not really sure what WrestleNomics is supposed to be at times like this. Originally, I had perceived WrestleNomics as sort of a self-aware, at times hyper-analysis of the pro wrestling business though while still as much as possible trying to do real economic analysis and really learn something about economics, society, and law through the unusual lens of professional wrestling. And to try to help myself and others learn something about a business that is often shrouded by secrecy and sometimes dishonesty, and which I think is often not viewed with a critical enough thought, which all seems like fun and games until we have weeks like this one that recently passed, where we are reminded, again, just how depraved the pro wrestling culture can be, even in these supposedly progressive, pluralistic, and inclusive times. And for me, this is not just something that I'm observing from the outside, but something that I have a stake in, and an experience in, and a responsibility in. I'm not a very big name in wrestling, but I have been present in it in however small a way, as a wrestler for almost, oh God, 17 years now, and as a trainer for a good five years now. And since so many of these stories involve trainers who abused their power, this has been an especially reflective and disturbing week. Some more thoughts on that in a bit. First, I want to lay out a number of the facts about the events related to the speaking out movement that we've learned in the last seven days, and the facts about what's happening with positive tests for COVID-19 in all the ways that the pandemic uh, is continuing to affect the wrestling industry, namely WWE and AEW. And then we'll get into some more analytical thoughts. So as of Friday afternoon, in WWE, following an allegation of sexual assault, Jack Gallagher has been released. Following allegations of sexual misconduct, El Liguero has been released. After allegations of emotional abuse amid a relationship with a 17-year-old student of his while he was the trainer at Fight Club Pro, Travis Banks has been released. There were also allegations of sexual assault by Matt Riddle and Jordan Devlin. WWE has not taken personnel actions against them, as far as we know, as of Friday afternoon. 
Moving on to AEW, after allegations of physical assault, domestic abuse, and rape, Jimmy Havoc has been sent by the company to rehab. AEW says that his status will be evaluated after treatment. For Sammy Guevara, a 2016 podcast recording emerged in which Guevara joked that he wanted to rape Sasha Banks. Guevara has been suspended without pay. AEW says he will be required to attend sensitivity training. His pay will be donated to a women's center in Jacksonville. In Ring of Honor, Marty Skrull is facing allegations of sexual assault on a 16-year-old girl. Ring of Honor says that it is investigating the situation. Skrull signed a contract with Ring of Honor at the beginning of this year, which included making him the head booker of the promotion. Related to Impact Wrestling, as many as 15 different people alleged sexual assault and harassment against Joey Ryan. Joey Ryan's contract with Impact Wrestling has been terminated. In New Japan Pro Wrestling, Will Ospreay is alleged to have participated in retaliation, allegedly causing wrestler Pollyanna to lose bookings after she alleged sexual assault against British wrestler Scott Wainwright, who Ospreay was friendly with. National Wrestling Alliance Vice President Dave Lagana has resigned from that position following allegations of sexual assault, leaving the future of NWA entirely uncertain. Due to their proximity to so many of the allegations, the British independent wrestling company, Progress, which also maintains a relationship with WWE, they announced that partners Glenn Robinson and Matt Richards would be leaving the company. The speaking out movement that has emerged in the last week was started when allegations of sexual assault and emotional abuse were raised against independent wrestler David Starr. Numerous independent wrestling companies thereafter announced that they would no longer work with David Starr, and it seems quite possible now that he will not wrestle anytime in the near future, if ever again. Following allegations of misconduct, Mike Quackenbush announced that he would be resigning as trainer at his school, The Wrestle Factory, and that his promotion, Chikara, which was founded in 2002, would be discontinued. This is by no means a complete list of allegations that have been raised against people within the wrestling industry within the last seven or eight days. And now the latest in coronavirus-related news. The week before this past week, it was learned, a talent, an NXT developmental talent, who was a member of the audience at a WWE taping, had tested positive for COVID-19. Not a test that WWE had administered to that talent, but a test that that talent had obtained on his or her own. News of this positive case was announced by WWE just as Raw was coming to an end. Subsequently, WWE tested all its talent and staff for COVID-19 for the first time, but proceeded with tapings. On Wednesday afternoon, Ryan Satin of Pro Wrestling Sheet reported that multiple people with WWE had tested positive for COVID-19, including in-ring talent. Also on Wednesday, AEW announced that its champion, John Moxley, would not be attending taping because he had had contact with someone who has tested positive for COVID-19. QT Marshall also would not be attending taping because of contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. Subsequently, Renee Young, who works for WWE as an announcer, an interviewer, 
who is also married to John Moxley, mentioned that she has COVID-19. W producer Adam Pierce announced that he has COVID-19. W announcer Kayla Braxton announced that she has COVID-19 for the second time. It's believed that she was the previously unnamed talent who had COVID-19 shortly after WrestleMania tapings were completed. WWE producer Jamie Noble has said that he has tested positive as well. WWE has since stated that it will test personnel for coronavirus going forward. Tapings that were scheduled to happen today on Friday for WWE Raw have been canceled. Taping of SmackDown, however, today went on as scheduled. According to SBNation.com, at least 30 people within WWE have tested positive for the coronavirus. Again, WWE is beginning testing for COVID-19 ahead of tapings for the first time. AEW has been doing testing for many weeks now. WWE and AEW are both taping in the state of Florida, with, of course, WWE taping in the Performance Center in Orlando in Orange County, AEW taping in Jacksonville in Duval County. Daily new cases of COVID-19 in Florida have set records multiple times this week. Daily new cases per capita in Orange County and Duval County are even higher than that of the state overall. The increase in positive cases cannot be blamed on an increase in testing. The number of tests being performed in the state of Florida have gone down more than they've gone up in the last four weeks. Meanwhile, the percentage of positive tests have increased. This according to data from the Florida Department of Health. An anonymous source within WWE has told Raj Geary of Wrestling Inc. that the questionnaire that W asks talent to fill out, one of the questions that's asked is if the person has done anything to put themselves at risk, like attending large gatherings or not wearing masks where they're supposed to do so. This unnamed source believes that some wrestlers are attending amusement parks or beaches and that those same talents are still performing for WWE. The source says that talent are not allowed to wear masks, but that policy has been changed as of today's SmackDown tapings. According to the source, W Talent Relations has told talent not to discuss any illnesses with anyone besides those they may live with, should they need to know. The source says that they are forbidden to tell anyone else and that they cannot come out publicly to make statements. It was stressed, the person says, that W will take care of any medical treatments if they need them, and that the company would handle any PR, and only those that needed to know about their condition would know because HIPAA laws will prevent them from making their names public. The source, who appears to be distressed, says, While I appreciate WWE's assistance helping those of us during these unprecedented times, WWE put us in this position in the first place. They continue to tape multiple shows a day that average 10 to 12 hours plus for at least two, sometimes three days in a row. Those in the audience are kept in air-conditioned tents away from the active talent and staff that are housed in other tents on the PC property, that is the Performance Center. Most people, the talent notes, were not tested until last week, as we were told they didn't believe the validity of some of the testing being done. And that definitely speaks to earlier comments that have been made in public by both Vince McMahon, who is of course the CEO of WWE, and Executive Vice President Triple H Paul Levesque, who claimed that the reason why they hadn't begun COVID testing previously was because they questioned the accuracy of the tests. This unnamed talent notes that the only precautions being taken were temperature checks, and the medical evaluation form. Some people were asked to invite their friends, family, and some friends who they've befriended 
to attend the tapings at the Performance Center. The source says that it is indeed true that Kevin Dunn, WWE's Executive Vice President of Global Television Production, did not allow fans to wear masks and made a scene twice over the PA telling them not to wear masks. Again, this is according to an article by Raj Geary on Wrestling Inc. And earlier this week, we had comments from John Brody, who is the Executive Vice President at WWE and the Global Head of Sales and Partnerships. He spoke on a sports hiatus conference call where he appeared along with Charlotte Flair and commented on WWE's decision to continue to do events during the pandemic. Take us through, as, as much as of lifting the curtain, how much of the strategic perspective was going on while everyone's thinking shut down. It seems like you guys were doing the exact opposite. Yeah, and, and, and first things first, the health and safety of our superstars like Charlotte, um, our legends like Rick, all of our frontline workers, because we have frontline workers also, is is first and foremost of, of paramount importance to us. But uh, it comes down to, to leadership in many ways, Seth. And our leader, our founder, our chairman, our CEO believes we have a social responsibility um, to put fans first and to help fans get a little break from what was then coming and what we're all now in the midst of. And we have a responsibility to try to take them away for a few hours and let them watch Charlotte do the amazing things she and her colleagues do in the ring and give them a smile, give them a chance to feel something other than what they're watching, which is also important on, on the news. And we leaned in, not because we knew exactly a straight path ahead. We leaned in to say, we're going to put fans first. We are going to do everything we can working with state, local, and federal officials to make sure it's safe first for our most important resource, Charlotte Flair and, and the WWE superstars. But we're going to do whatever we can to deliver content for our partners, Fox, NBCU, all of our partners, Sony, all of our partners around the world, but for our fans. And we did it with a closed set. We immediately went into the WWE Performance Center. I was saying this to Charlotte before. Most people think, well, WWE did it because they had a, a studio ready to roll. Um, ask Charlotte if that's a studio. It's a gym. It's a really nice gym, but it's a gym that we have transformed into a, 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 a set. And the way we have done it is first making sure we have only essential personnel. We have a closed set, no fans, all of those things. We're testing all the superstars to make sure they're healthy but we have a responsibility to our fans and we wanted to continue to deliver for them to help them in the small little way that we could. So those are the facts as we know them at the moment. Some thoughts about these facts after this. Uh, first of all, I, I resent your tone. Um, this is America, you know, you have the opportunity for failure in America. I'm not afraid to fail, you know, as long as I win in the long run. It's a different, again, I said it's millennials. It's, it's a, if you reach for that brass ring and you fall on your butt, no one wants to, no one wants to fail. And there's this feeling that, you know, this insecurity that if you fail, you're, you know, you're exposed. So, I, you know, I think that that's a largely uh, pretty much what it is. Because you give everybody the opportunities, you give everyone resources. If you can't cut it, get out. 
wrong with that? No different than any other business, by the way. It's a soap opera, right? All right? That's what we do in the entertainment world. Why don't you ask yourself that question? I mean, why, why, why are you indicating that's my responsibility? These people are dead. I, I would accept no responsibility whatsoever for their untimely deaths. None whatsoever. Uh, how many times do you hear the fuck word in The Sopranos? I happen to like the show, okay? You want to let me finish here for a second, pal? Then, then coat, shut your mouth and let me answer the question, all right? I'll be happy to answer, okay? Just to smear me, just, you know, just to absolutely smear me with this one thing. And thank you very much for that. That's a real class move on your part. Oh, oh my God, you can't, you can't believe. Oh, can you see that look? I mean, oh, how can you possibly say that, Vince? How can you look that way and you're giving me the old... I'm not responsible for the way the business was then. I wasn't responsible for the way the business, how they grow up in the, grew up in the business and whatever personal bad habits they developed. Why am I responsible for that? I gave them the opportunity. I am a victim. It sometimes feels in these coronavirus times that time is going very fast. And in a sense, I think it is. COVID is compressing the degree to which people, at least in the United States, live in increasingly different realities. For people, I suspect, like Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon, they live in a reality in which coronavirus isn't a big deal, maybe isn't even something real. I've said, I think more than once here, that I don't need to be a moralistic person all worried about everybody's health and well-being and workers' rights to say that not testing people for COVID-19 is a bad idea. I can be a totally heartless, economically interested, purely economically interested investor in WWE stock and say that you are putting, as John Brody says, executive vice president of WWE, John Brody says, you're putting your greatest resource at risk, your talent, and that is, even if you don't care about their health or well-being, let's say you don't care about their health or well-being, they could get sick or die or not, but they'll be unavailable for you, at least for a short time, if they come down with COVID-19. And COVID-19, by the way, isn't just the flu. It's not just a sickness, in many cases, that you have for a few days and then get over. In some cases, it takes weeks or months for patients' lung capacity to fully recover. And I would add this to John Brody's comments about the most valuable resources in WWE. We know now that Adam Pierce, a WWE producer, has tested positive for COVID. Adam Pierce is said to work closely with Vince McMahon. And again, if I am a amoral WWE investor, which I am not a WWE investor of any kind, but if I were an amoral WWE investor, much less a moral one, I would be very concerned about my investment if I learned that the company's founder and CEO, the company's leader since 1982, who is two months away from turning age 75, is unduly exposing himself to the coronavirus, is indeed creating social gatherings around himself on a regular basis in a region where confirmed cases are on the rise and is not even testing the people around him. If Vince McMahon were to get sick or were to die suddenly, the value of WWE shares, i.e. my hypothetical investment in WWE shares, the value of that investment would decline suddenly. I can think of few other events that would suddenly and adversely affect WWE shares, like the death of Vince McMahon. 
the need for long-term restructuring of WWE's creative vision beside the point. To another point, when WWE refers to its testing, as Executive Vice President John Brody did in the comments we heard earlier, the testing that they're doing, as also pointed out by the anonymous WWE talent that spoke with Wrestling Inc., the testing that they've been referring to as testing up until this week is not, in fact, testing for the coronavirus. It's merely screening in the form of temperature checks and a medical questionnaire. If I were actually to venture into the realm of moral thought beyond just the scope of a purely economically interested investor, the public argument that WWE has a social responsibility to continue to create content, to continue to produce programming at the expense of causing risk to not just personnel, but to the public, is a horrific corporate lie. Even if something as unnecessary to the sustainment of human life like entertainment were, in fact, a social responsibility, were a human necessity, there are endless entertainment options still available to people in the United States and WWE's other international markets. Entertainment options that don't require people, dozens of people, to be in close contact with one another on a regular basis. That is, entertainment options that don't risk anyone's susceptibility to contracting and transmitting the coronavirus. There are few benefits for WWE or AEW to gain by continuing to produce new programming, or I should say new in-ring content. There are few benefits for WWE or AEW in creating new in-ring content other than financial benefits, other than benefits to ego. The benefit to WWE is to make a profitable company even more profitable. The mean of the latest analyst estimates of WWE stock still project the company to set its all-time profit record in 2020 and to break that record in 2021. To not produce new in-ring content means possibly not collecting the TV rights fees that it gets from NBC Universal and Fox. For AEW to not create new in-ring content means risking the TV rights fees from Warner Media. And to suggestions that if AEW stopped creating new in-ring content, they would go out of business, I would suggest that there are, all, are alternatives other than creating new in-ring content that might satisfy contracts. And if not, I wouldn't rule it out that the Khan family doesn't have enough money to cover expenses through a period of inactivity. But even if I'm wrong, even if WWE becomes less profitable or even unprofitable and had to dig into its cash and debt reserves, or even if AEW went out of business, even if those are the alternatives that are being faced, at what point does the continued protection of the finances of major professional wrestling organizations no longer so important that we continue to protect them at the expense of a growing risk to public health? Or has the risk been growing so gradually, rather than abruptly, that our muscle for resisting such moral considerations has been trained to become strong enough to resist the thought? Or is something like public safety in U.S. culture in 2020, when cynicism is easier to find than decency, when irony is a less vulnerable trade than sincerity. Maybe in this culture, things like public safety and the public good are priorities that are decisively lower than business success. And the only reason 
that I can imagine for why the leadership in WWE, namely Vince McMahon, has declined to set up testing, which is in the WWE scale of things, not that expensive at all. I've been told that it's the expense related to setting up testing you know, per person is along the lines of an extra hotel room for each person. And it's probably a small additional expense, greatly offset by the increase in profitability that WWE is benefiting from thanks to not having to run events at major sports arenas right now. But the only reason that I can fathom for a sort of psychology about why not test is because I suspect the people in charge, Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn, maybe he agrees that coronavirus isn't that serious. It's totally overblown by the media who they resent. And it is easier and in their view wiser to just not know who's testing positive for COVID-19. It's just a minor sickness. And sickness is a thing that people like Vince McMahon think you can work through anyway. So it's just easier not to have to know and to not have to do anything about it. Because in their reality, it's not something that anything really needs to be done about. It's an overblown hoax. And I don't know what argument can be made to people who live in such a reality. And I think the question as far as the risk or the recklessness of not doing testing, while the, the bigger deal beyond just putting the, the, the personnel, the wrestlers and the people who are involved with the, with the tapings, you're not just putting those people at risk. And it's not just a question of when is somebody maybe going to become really sick from this? Or maybe there's, you know, older people who would be more at risk to, to suffer and possibly die from coronavirus. That is a risk. But there's also the unknown additional transmission that perhaps WWE has already contributed to in terms of putting the public at risk. As Wrestling Inc.'s source noted, there are personnel who are going out to amusement parks and to beaches in Florida who may or may not have been carriers of coronavirus, who may or may not have already transmitted it onto unknown numbers of people in the public. But those people are anonymous to WWE. If you can't see the people whose lives you affect, then maybe in some sense it is not real. We live in a country with 330 million people in a world with 8 billion people, and we have given a lot of power to people we'll never meet, who affect and govern the lives of people they'll never meet, who answer to citizens, many of whom have trouble justifying caring for anyone beyond their front door. And AEW is not free from responsibility in this regard either, although they are being somewhat more responsible. At least they have already been doing testing. And I heard Cody Rhodes talk about in the last conference call that uh, AEW is taking great care to make sure that people weren't cross-pollinating uh, in, in terms of their coronavirus testing. And AEW could not even prevent WWE from infecting possibly their own talent if it turns out that John Moxley has COVID-19 because his wife who works for WWE has COVID-19. But it seems clear that WWE didn't earlier administer testing because they didn't want to know, because they didn't want to have to do anything about it, because they don't think it matters. Some more thoughts after this. These are clips from The Phil Donahue Show in 1992. 
world of wrestling, and everybody all these years has been scared to step forward. Now come forward a number of people to say, because I wouldn't have sex with another guy in the game, I couldn't get promoted. And before you think this is trivial, first of all, let's understand that a couple of these uh, charges involve kids, 14 years old, juveniles. One more point. The Wrestling Federation, you know how you tee-hee-ha-ha, ha, what a joke, hoo-hoo, $1.7 billion in 1990. And if you think the WWF is hiding behind lawyers, here is the head of that organization who has accepted, incidentally, recently, resignations from two executives who stand accused. Accused! Uh, and now, here you are being accused, Mr. McMahon, of... Uh, presiding over an organization that looked the other way while these uh, sex harassment charges were being, uh, uh, sex harass harassment activity was taking place. Sir, you wanted to say. We've never looked the other way in anything. And I'm very happy to confront everyone today with whatever allegation they have. The three individuals about whom most of these allegations are hurled are no longer with the WWF. We have started an independent investigation on our own to get to the bottom of all of this and that's why we're here today do you believe that sexual harassment exists in your workplace i believe that there's a possibility of sexual harassment existing everywhere and i, I asked directly want, if it was in the I world wrestling federation in my organization i don't want it i'd like to reiterate the question do you believe there is sexual harassment amongst the wrestlers or employees the world wrestling federation today there is a possibility of that that's why i've have these uh, independent investigators to come in people go into wrestling in the first place Money. They, i mean they know it's not a pure art form even just looking at wrestling you can see that, that what? it's tacky and it looks <laughs> people love this but you can tell it's There's pleasing just by looking at it a lot of people love professional wrestling issue here. yes it's a that's Isn't wrestling issue, fixed right? anyway? That's not a real that's issue to any of this. No, that's a, you know, that's, a, that's a creative decision. Who wins? You know, the snake loses, the good guy wins. This is about crime. This is about breaking the law. Those clips from the Phil Donahue show in 1992, some 28 years ago. And that was following a scandal within the WWF regarding sexual harassment of mostly men. Although around the same time, Rita Chatterton, who had been a referee for the WF until 1986, she appeared on Geraldo Rivera's Now It Can Be Told program and accused Vince McMahon of sexual assault. And in the year 2000, following her early release from the WF, Nicole Bass filed a complaint in which she alleged sexual harassment committed by many in the company. And we could have long figured that sexually abusive and harassing and sexist behavior is and was systemic in pro wrestling from the top down. We've learned in the past week that that kind of behavior is systemic in pro wrestling from the bottom up. From some of the smallest independent organizations on upward to some of the biggest companies in the world. And you can go back even further and think about the band of wrestlers coordinated by Fabulous Moolah and Billy Wolf in what, the 60s and 70s, where they 
sexually exploited probably dozens of women. So in some ways, the speaking out movement is the latest iteration in resistance to a pro wrestling culture that has exploited people, especially women, but people in general who have lesser power within the industry, uh, exploiting them sexually and in, in other ways. But there have been some times within the last eight or nine days or so reading the stories that have come out and reading and hearing a lot of the, the discussion in response to the stories where I've questioned what in the hell kind of world I've got myself wrapped up in, you know, just what kind of world and culture have I devoted myself to, to study and participate in. And, and additionally, to what degree have I made it any better or worse as a wrestler, as a trainer, or as a bystander. And I don't know what exactly is going to happen or can be done in specific to prevent sexual exploitation and other kinds of exploitation with, within wrestling going forward. I've seen some discussion about whether or not people should be allowed to start training before the age of 18. I can't say how effective that would be overall, but that, that has been our policy at our school at Grapplers Anonymous in Buffalo uh, throughout the entire time that I've been a part of the school. We've only been training people after they turn 18. And I think that's mostly been you know, out of the idea of and only wanting to train adults in terms of protecting ourselves legally and the idea that I think if you're going to get into the into the physical wrestling business where we are starting to know a lot more about head injuries and CTE and the kind of physical effects, the long-term physical effects that being a pro wrestler may have on your body and your health, uh, I would prefer that that is an adult decision that uh, somebody makes for themselves. So that's been our reasoning. Uh, even before thinking about protecting people underage from certain kinds of exploitation and abuse. But again, I don't know what the specific solutions are for the industry overall. I hope that the stories that have proliferated and been made public over the last week or so will serve as a deterrent. Each one that I've read has served as a warning of what can happen if power and trust are abused. And I imagine that in the future there will be other movements like this, maybe different in some ways, but maybe there will be additional iterations of movements like the speaking out movement of the last week or so. And again, hopefully people will be deterred by the notion that if you abuse someone or if you don't understand what it means to abuse someone, and by the way, it's probably the responsibility of people like me to make sure that everyone understands what abusive behavior is. But I think social media has enabled movements like this. 25 or 30 years ago, you had to go on the Phil Donahue show or the Geraldo Rivera show or CNN to have discussions like this that will be seen by more than a few people. And social media, and in this case, specifically Twitter, have obviously been instrumental in getting these stories out. Not that social media and Twitter are, are completely beneficent or even neutral in general or even within this specific movement. Clearly, in some cases, even in, in the case of the speaking out movement, people have tried to use the attention associated with it to raise issues that are not necessarily about sexual assault or sexual harassment or abuse of power. But those things, besides it's been a, while it's been a, a horrible experience to read all the stories, it's been a horrible experience to learn in specific the traumatizing experiences of others. But in doing so, hopefully we will be able to learn how to be kinder and more respectful 
hopefully we'll, we will better know how to treat others with the decency that they're entitled to. And I think that, that while social media was sort of a necessary condition of this moment, I think coronavirus probably was a necessary condition as well. It's, it's probably helpful that at least independent wrestling is in the middle of a time where there haven't really been you know, almost any shows for, for the last now over three months. So perhaps it, it removes the the, loom, the looming possibility of a confrontation soon to come on the following weekend where continuously independent wrestlers at least see one another uh, from time to time, from weekend to weekend, with the, the prospect of retaliation somewhat removed. So maybe it's easier to to share a story about a time someone abused you when you don't have to worry about seeing the person who abused you on a day soon to come. And in general, in the larger story of, of wrestling history, I really do think this speaking out movement is going to be one big piece of a, of a larger threshold in wrestling history. That is the times before COVID and the times after it. And hopefully we are better, much better after it. But here at the beginning of a new decade, I think there's going to be whenever COVID can be vaccinated against and whenever normal events can be held again, I think pro wrestling is going to have a lot to rebuild itself from, not just in terms of replacing the people who have been exiled from the business, but I think coronavirus is changing people's routines, both workers within the business and fans of the business. On a big and small level, I think fan bases will have to be rebuilt I think some wrestlers, for a wide variety of reasons, will hardly ever wrestle again after coronavirus. Some promotions clearly will not run again after coronavirus. Some promotions will be vastly different than they were before the pandemic. It is going to be a different wrestling business whenever we pick it back up than it was when we left it behind in March. And that will be our challenge. And we will be better for all the stories that have been shared by all the people who have been the subjects of abuse. We will be better because they shared their stories. And the pro wrestling business has to, and I hope will, learn from the lessons and the warnings that their stories provide. So the people who have spoken out, they've done a great deal to not just remove people from the business who have harmed the lives of others, but have done a lot to help us establish better norms and what the consequences are for hurting others. So that's what I have for this week. You can follow WrestleNomics on Twitter at WrestleNomics. You can read written work and get access to a lot of resources at WrestleNomics.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston and I'll talk to you next time.